I don't want to only know the parts of you that I like. I also want to know the parts of you that are going to challenge me or trigger me or different values or different perspectives. And because I'm learning to have that amount of compassion for myself and respect for myself, then I get to accept more of me and I get to accept more of you. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soul Fire production. Today's guest on the show is Jator Pierre, who happens to be one of my older friends. And Jator is someone who I've always felt is a hidden gem in the wellness space. Now, in just the first few minutes, you're going to get to hear and experience just how grounded, how thoughtful, how thought-provoking of a man Jator is. And one of the beautiful things is that, that I've experienced with Jator is he is someone who can go as deep as deep can go. And on the flip side, he laughs at himself hilariously. And so I love that balance of both. He is a mental emotional expert. And on his off time, he is someone who gets on the hockey ice every single chance he gets. And so he is an avid athlete as well. Now, in this conversation, we dive deep into the topic of friendship and we use our friendship as a real world example. And really what Jator brings up is how we can appreciate certainly the light sides of friendships in general and our friendships as an example, but also can we appreciate the triggers that arise in a real meaningful friendship as well. Now, you're going to get uh, to really hear some of the uniquenesses that is his perspective on life. We go into codependency. We go into diving into the language of emotion and being more accurate with our words so that we can take greater responsibility for the life that we are leading. Jator goes into the difference between intuition and instinct as he sees it and experiences it the dangers of pedestooling people and how we can empower ourselves to trust our own path. And let me just say in this show, Jator challenged me a few times and I already re-listened to this episode uh, prior to putting it out here. And let me just say, I've already walked away with so much getting to sit back and re-listen to it. And I know you're going to learn a lot because he's just someone who's got just a life full of wisdom and such unique perspective on, on life and people and relationships and communication. So enjoy this episode of the Path Podcast with none other than Jator Pierre. You know, I've known you now for, I think, over 10 years, more or less, and we've been homies and boys. And in that time, life's happened. And during that whole experience, there's certain times where we kind of fall out of touch and then we reconnect and fall out of touch or whatever it is. Like, I know you've got a ton of things going on in your life, business-wise, relationship-wise, all that sort of stuff, and myself included. And that being said, one of the things that I appreciate about you, and I think this is in my experience, the hallmark of a, of a true friendship or one of the hallmarks is no matter how much time we spend apart, when we connect, there's no love lost. It's like we hop right back into the dynamics of connection and vulnerability and just there's a, a deep sense of love and respect that I have for you. And so that as I was getting ready this morning, I was so excited that you're here in the home and, and that we're getting to spend more time together. So thank you, brother. Thank you. 
getting used to this, this microphone. In my face. <laughs> yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I think, you know, when I look back historically at our friendship, I think where it, it really sparked for me was uh, you were hanging out with um, Stephanie. And I was Stephanie's friend. And I organized a talk with Chris Kresser. Mm. And I think it was the second time I met you or something like that. And we had the talk and the end of the talk. And outside, I stopped. I said, hey, can we talk on the side? And I said something like, yo, I want you to know that Stephanie is, that's, that's your girl. And she's my homie. And that's it. That's all that it would ever be. And something about that moment for me was acknowledging of, of you as a, as a man, acknowledging of myself as a man and the amount of respect that I already had for you and with you and for myself before I even knew you, like the energy field that you carry or the hologram around you spoke in, in language that's beyond the language that I'm speaking right now and resonated deeply with me. And some part of me must have known that you and I would have a, a really deep friendship in the same sense that I have a really deep friendship with someone like JP. You and I, or JP and I don't connect every day and we don't need to. There's not, um, there's not a neediness in our, in our friendship. There's a, an invitation in our friendship. And because of that, I don't carry a sense of loss when we're not connecting in this literal realm over the phone or through text or in person. There's a, there's a trust and a heartfelt trust that no matter where I go in the world, no matter where you go in the world, no matter what you're doing, that I know you love me. Mm. I know that you allow me. I know that you accept so many parts of me and always have. So that feels like a very safe and secure and beautiful place to be. And I think as a, as a model, a model for what I also want to co-create with a woman in my life. I get to have amazing, deep, heartfelt, less codependent relationship with you, which then helps me learn that model of how do I co-create the same thing with a woman in my life um, where there's less neediness there will always be neediness and that's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with neediness. And on that scale of neediness, maybe there's uh, need, want, desire, prefer, an invitation. Invitations at the, at the opposite end of that scale. Trying to allow myself to get to that place of invitation and prefer with a woman. Uh, and getting to uh, have that with a male and, and really learn that model of 
acceptance and understanding and compassion and that when we connect you and I, no matter how many years it's been, it feels like we connected the day before. Uh, I love that, man. That those are, those are the friendships that I will continue to cultivate and continue to ensure and intend uh, and attend to for the next 45 years on this planet. (laughs) (laughs) Hearing you share that, one of the things that comes up as it relates to whether it's in an intimate relationship or in a friendship relationship, one of the things like the what do they say? Like the telltale signs, if that's the word for me in terms of how it feels in my body and in my nervous system, it really is true. When I'm hanging out with very dear friends, and this is one of the ways that I knew, one of the things that I knew that Lauren was my person was when I'm with her or when I'm hanging out with you, there really feels to be like a down regulation in my nervous system. There's a safety that is created to, to your point And I feel more free or more invited to be more of me. And so there is that down regulation of the nervous system. But also too, what I notice is I leave our conversations and our hangouts and, and, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to obviously be with Lauren every single day. And I leave with more energy than when I came in. And there's certain relationships that, and I don't, and I'm curious to hear your experience and and your observation of this, but what is it about that makes certain relationships a drain to us or feel like, I don't know, like they're sucking energy from us? And what is it about those that actually give us nourishment and give us life? What a good question. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take a stab. I think one of the important things from my perspective to consider is that uh, we're all allowed to have our, our perception and uh, often you know, our perception is informed by our past and our past experiences and by our subconscious mind. And from my perspective, we often see the world through our subconscious mind and it's much less of conscious intent that we're experiencing. It's much more the agenda in the background. And so with that being said, as a maybe, when you and I are in the same space, uh, there, there are parts of you that remind me of parts of me that I really enjoy, Hmm. that I really admire. Um, you know, historically, I think I gave you the, I gave you the nickname, Mike, um, (laughs) Captain America back in the day. And, um, you know what that meant for me in that moment and actually still does mean for me today is your, my experience of you is very integrous and straight up and grounded. And, um, if I picture Captain America in my mind, the, the concepts of, you know, the original America, um, standing for freedom and, and truth and, and justice for all, not justice for just me. Those were aspects that I, that were inside of me, but maybe I didn't think they were as refined or as clean cut or as clear to myself. So by being in your presence, 
and noticing those parts of you that are also parts of me was very attractive, attractive to what I desire or am inspired to become more of. That's really me. Mm. I project it onto you. And in the same sense, there'll be, you know, if we're going to get really vulnerable and innocent, there'll be... (laughs) intimate and innocent, (laughs) there'll be parts of you that, um, trigger me or scare Mm. me as well. And that's really important. That's important for me to, to say out loud because our friendship isn't based on only what we like about each other. I hope our friendship's also based on what triggers us about each other because what triggers about triggers us about each other is also those parts of us that maybe are hidden and that we get to see in each other. And so through creating a friendship of being able to navigate both those spaces, essentially what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm learning to accept more parts of myself that I also project onto you. And I'm also allowing myself the space to say, Mike, I don't want to only know the parts of you that I like. Mm. I also want to know the parts of you that are going to challenge me or trigger me or different values or different perspectives. And because I'm learning to have that amount of compassion for myself and respect for myself, then I get to accept more of me and I get to accept more of you. So I think that's why at some level you and I have, or you and Lauren have decided whether that was through communication or through energy or through subconscious agenda, there was a, an agreement that was made to, to do that dance. And so we'll also have those agreements to do that dance with people that are our experience of people that are more triggering in the opposite direction. So let's just say me and you are 80% in alignment, 20% in unalignment, let's just say. And that's you know me projected onto you. Then you'll also have people that you bump up against in the world that are 80% in opposite alignment, 20% in alignment. And those people are the people that typically will feel draining or feel like work or feel like too much or you know, the, the other seduction here, which I think is also really interesting is we're so quick as to, as humans to blame each other for this, these experiences. So we'll use the easy one first. So, uh, I feel drained can also become, they drain me, which I think is false. Explain that a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I will. Um, no one can drain you but you. So through your perception of how this other person shows up and where it's challenging to you about the aspects of you that you project onto this person that you don't like, you become drained by yourself. But that's a really hard cereal to sit down and eat. No one wants to eat that cereal. I don't want to eat that cereal. I don't want to eat that cereal. <laughs> Sounds like bad cereal. <laughs> or bad milk. <laughs> or bad milk or both. <laughs> and so 
the much easier story to share that's much less intimate and much less connected and much more attached is, well, I bumped up into parts of me that I really don't like. And I get to then project my anger or my resentment toward myself through blaming someone else for how I feel or experience them. You made me feel. Uh, I'd say I made me feel. And I'm curious about why I'm making myself feel this way in your presence. What about how you show up is triggering to my values, is confronting, reminds me of a challenging situation in my past with another male mm. or a female. Um, and where this becomes even more slippery and I think for me scary is that, you know, the story of who triggers me or who drains me is pretty overt. It's, it can be obvious. I know who triggers me. <laughs> so it's overt. It's, it's, it's bright. It's easy to see. Those are the, mm, those are so, they're so obvious that there, of course, is good work there and, and great self-discovery and exploration. But because of the obvious nature, we often then continue to look for what's overt and blatant and obvious, which then hides it's much, 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 much more subtle. And the subtle, the subtle deflections, the subtle, subtle loss of self, subtle projections are much more insidious because we don't know they're there. And so as in maybe an easy example, and I'll use you for fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be great, guys. It's going to be real good. <laughs> okay, I'll use me for fun. No. <laughs> okay, so the way that I experience you Right. Mm-hmm. is one way of saying it. The way that I experience myself about you is okay. another way of saying it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, the parts of you that I judge as good in Captain America are just as delusional as the other parts that I project on you. And the more that I buy into the positives that I project onto you, the other side of the coin has to be true. I have to also buy and believe the stories on the opposite side of that, of the parts of you I don't enjoy. And so we get lost in blaming others for how we experience life because very few people have the language to say, how I experience you is actually an experience of myself that I'm projecting onto you. How I feel around you is much more of a mirror of noticing how I feel on the inside about the outside world, which Mm. sounds insane. And it is. And that's where we get lost. We get lost in the external projection and forget that's really back to this idea, which I think is now pretty cliche and said over and over and over and because I'm arrogant enough to think it's misunderstood, I'll say I think it's misunderstood, <laughs> is everyone's a mirror. That's, that's 
part of the root of that. You are a mirror for me. Not just the beauty and the, what I would deem as not beautiful. Um, but if I let myself get lost in either of those stories and don't reframe it as, hmm, what is Mike's beauty represent about myself and where do I find that in myself? What does Mike's challenges represent to me and, and where do I find that in myself? Then I get to free myself and I get to free you from attachment. I get to say we're connected. And the more connected we are through that platform, the more truthful I can be with you, the more respect I have for you, the less I have to hide in your presence, the less I have to take responsibility for how you're going to experience whatever I share or whatever I say. And the more trust I have in myself that you, because of our friendship, uh, will navigate that in the same way. And if we go down the opposite road of that, then if I'm attaching to you the responsibility of I feel good or I feel shit or I feel drained or I feel excited, mm. I'm still blaming you for how I feel. And that is, and will ever be forever fascinating to me. And I think that to get full circle back to your question, I don't think other people drain us and I don't think other people fill us up. I think that's an illusion. And if we can remember that, then we can really have some free conversation where I'm, I, I'm more willing to lose your friendship because I'm honest than willing to lose myself because I'm dishonest. What comes up for you if someone's been in an intimate partnership and they've noticed or it's very evident that it has been something built on codependency, you know, whether on both sides or maybe more on one side and the other, because this is fascinating to me uh, and very practical and very useful and also very deep. How might one or what's been your experience in your life of how to start um, shifting that dynamic between and in relationship? Great question. Thank you. Mm. And super fun, super deep for me too. <laughs> I only speak about what I really need to hear. <laughs> it's true. Um, let's see. Well, I think if I was to think into that, of course, and also feel into that, some of what I just shared, I think, speaks a lot to that. Mm -hmm. But maybe. Uh, a wider brush of that would be everyone that's listening to your podcast right now, right? Listening to this uh, and or all of the casts that you've done. The interesting thing is that everybody that's listening to it is having their subjective singular experience of it. Every single word mm. that's said, every single, single interaction. There's some people listening right now like, this dude tour is whack. And there's other people like, damn. And there's a mixed bag out there. And so the reason why I bring that up is 
the interpretation of the word is super important. And the then interpretation of codependency and what that means to us is also super important. Uh, out there in the world, in my experience, my perception, and my bias. When we talk about codependency, there is often a lot of red flags that come up for people. Codependency is bad. <laughs> True. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Automatic. 100%. It's bad. It's gross. It's immature. It's, it's needy. It's needy. <laughs> yes, it's needy. I'm <laughs> fucking needy, man. <laughs> yes, it's needy. And because of that, then as soon as we start you know, diving into it, then the framework is, well, how do we fix it? Mm. There's something wrong with it. Mm. And I'd say, no, there's something right with it. Um, codependency and the experience of it, how do we get out of it? We become friends with it, not enemies with it. There's, if there's something wrong with it, it implies that it's hurtful to us. And, and maybe in some regard, it is, but it's also purposeful to us. We were, came into this world codependent. Mm. We were needy AF. I was just talking to your beautiful wife about this baby living inside of her is what her words were. Did you hear that? Living inside of her. That little nugget is completely needy and dependent on her to support every aspect of its growth, inclusive of mental and emotional and how the, the baby is experiencing her, her thoughts, her emotions, her hormones, her neurotransmitters, as well as yours. So vastly needy. And then you'll have this beautiful little nugget and then still be needy. And to say that that is, um, something's wrong with that, which I, I get, I'll get back to this adult thing, but to say that something's wrong with that implies that it wasn't necessary, but it, it is necessary and it's necessary for us to survive. It's necessary for us to build tribe. It's necessary for us to do all of those things. And so then if we look at it that way, and then we kind of reframe it and we say, okay, well, there's behaviors that we learned as a child, behaviors that we learned in utero, behaviors that we'll learn when we're out, behaviors that we learn from our parents and school and all of those downloads that get, you know, downloaded into us that we download uh, in particular from zero to seven-ish, depending on whose research you believe, that there's a necessity there. And then the behaviors that grow out of that necessity is so that we are needy to survive and to eventually maybe get to the place of thriving. So if we then fast forward to this idea of codependent relationships and we make it wrong, what we resist persists. But if we say, hmm, how did codependency serve me extremely well so that I could survive to get to this place in my life where I want more inner dependency, interdependency, and less codependency? Maybe it's by humbling ourselves to the necessity of it in the first place so 
it brought us a message saying, here's how you got to survive to this point. You've had now the experiences of the benefits and consequences of acting out that type of behavior from childhood to now. How do you want to move forward? Do you want to continue to cultivate skewed to the heavy side codependent relationships? That's okay. Hmm. If that's what you want to do, there's going to be benefits and consequences to that. In the same sense, if we said, and you want to now create relationships that are less codependent, that's okay too. There's going to be benefit and consequences to that as well. And so if we can start to framework, you know, our behaviors as outgrowths of what we needed as a child, then we can start to understand the child inside of us still who needs acknowledgement, groundedness, presence, understanding, maybe healthy limits and boundaries. What that child in my perspective absolutely does not need is fixing Mm. or shaming or blaming. And, um, you know, you're, well, we're both meaty men. <laughs> I think I'm a little skinnier than you are at this point. I feel tiny. Yeah, I feel really. My neck feels so tiny. I'm so <laughs> I feel really Every time I see myself in a camera, Lauren knows I shame myself for the smallness of my neck over the years. I feel really tiny right now. <laughs> so that's fun. Okay, so when we used to be more meatier. Yes, thank you. Yeah, we know what it took to, to build that, mm-hmm. right? We know what mm-hmm. it took to, takes to like hypertrophy. Okay, so we know we need to, the time and effort and, and the resistance that we need to put into that to create the need for the human body then to significantly grow the size of musculature so that it can express a certain amount of strength and power, et cetera. Okay. So if we're looking at codependency in the same way as like resistance training and you're always resisting codependency, what muscle are you growing? (laughs) Shit. Yes. (laughs) You're growing a big ass muscle of resistance to letting go of codependency, (laughs) which is super awesome and weird, but uh, we don't, we can do it a different way. And that's what my, my own personal work has been around. How do I dive into these things without shaming and blaming myself and do it more from an exploratory nature or discovery nature or curiosity? And how I got there was everything we've essentially talked to this point. And so when we say to that codependency, wait a second. You were necessary. I'm humbled by you because I wouldn't be here without you. Mm. That changes everything. What can I learn from you? Why did we need that codependency? Where did it come from? How did my mom relate to men? How did my dad relate to women? Where did I learn this codependent nature? And how did it serve me? 
And the more I can understand that, the more I can also accept it and the more I can work with it rather than resist it. Uh, and then I start to hold codependency's hand like an old friend, which starts to atrophy the muscle. Then we're not downstairs lifting those big ass kettlebells that you got <laughs> that I can't lift, by the way, everyone. <laughs> I tried one. <laughs> I thought about it. I was like looking at those 40 kgs, like how? Does he do this? <laughs> <laughs> Just get me on the ice, man. <laughs> With the holidays in mind and as a subscriber of the Path Podcast, I'm giving away $200 off on my Kettlebell Lifestyle Program. And all you got to do is use code HOLIDAY40 at checkout. And the end date for this special is December 1st. Now, Kettlebell Lifestyle is my nine-week follow-along kettlebell movement program with both a beginner and intermediate level lifter track. Now, this program, while it does focus on kettlebells, it is so much more than that. Because it is a principle-based program, you can apply so much of it to any movement practice that you want to do or any activity that you want to engage in. For example, if you love baseball or softball or hockey or golf or tennis, or you just simply want to be a more resilient and healthy human being, this is a fantastic program to develop the entire individual to avoid some of the downsides of overtraining. You're going to get follow along detailed instruction from me. And let me just say, this program certainly is not for everyone in the sense of if you don't want to learn about your body and really invest in yourself, and you're, for example, just looking for an ass kicker program, the workouts are hard, especially when we get to phase two and three, but we do so when we build up to that methodically. And so it starts off slow. It starts off gradual because now in over 20 years as, as an athlete and as a coach, this is one of the biggest things that I see missing is people are not taking an individualized approach to their training and it's more training and draining their body. And so this program will give you the tools and set you up for lifelong performance. You will learn breathwork techniques and morning routines and corrective stretches and tons of, once again, detailed movement tutorials from me. Truly a phenomenal program that was so much fun to create. And what's even better is the results that people have gotten from all around the world. We have people from over 25 countries who have performed the program with great success. So check it out today. All you got to do is go to www.kettlebellifestyle.com to learn more. Let me start by saying this is something that I don't know if it's connected to what you're saying. And that's why I'm going to ask it because I'm really curious about this. When I was leading this or one of the leaders of this men's retreat, one of my intentions going into this one, which has been, I don't want to say very different, but has been different than in the past is especially anytime I'm doing something for the first time, like I want it to be perfect. That's like my nature, the perfectionist. And I put so much energy into the structure and wanting everything, like planning my intro talks and doing all this stuff. Then once I realized like the retreat really was successful, I started letting go a little bit of that control of what I felt it needed to look like on the second one. And I started relaxing more into it and into the conversations. And in this one, there was a big shift for me in the sense of my primary intention was of course to be of service, of sacred service to the men, but to lead more fully from my heart and trust my intuition. That intuition piece was huge for me. 
And so I've heard you briefly kind of talk about or have a perspective around the difference between instinct versus intuition and instinct may be tied to survival. So I'm curious if you can explain that if it is or isn't related to what we're talking about now, because that's really a phase that I think not only myself, but having conversations with the men there, whether it's in relationship, this desire to connect with our intuition and, and maybe come less from a place of just head or mind and stuff like that. So curious mm. to hear what comes up for you. Yeah. Well, something that's interesting that I think I heard you say, which I think is an interesting place to kind of start this conversation is, uh, you said my nature mm. about how you want to create and, um, plan and lay out and say, that's your nurture. Uh, I'd say that. Okay. And why I say that is, well, cause I know you, well, I know me <laughs> about you. <laughs> um, and, and even if I didn't, you know, the influence of, of your childhood and it, it sounds like I'm talking about you. I'm talking about everyone inclusive of myself. Uh, very few of us were celebrated for who we be. Most of us were celebrated for what we do. Mm. And so my guess is at some level, there's some part of you that feels a sense of safety and security by, through preparation and methodicalness and For sure. setting things up so that you could have gotten one or both of your parents' uh, validation or acceptance or attention. And so you grew that and it served you effing well. And then you did this last, not the last one, but the, maybe the one before where you, maybe you came from a slightly different place and were more, maybe more in your head and, and less in your heart. And so in this one, you, what I heard you say is you actually challenged the values that you're loyal to from your parents and stepped into creating your own value set and your own way of living which can feel confusing and scary and, and all those things. What if I don't have the right plan? Are people going to like what's going on? How do I learn to trust mm. what's coming up inside of me? And how do I learn to trust that everything is as it should be, regardless of how much I want to control it with my nurturing control dramas? Okay, so you have this, this experience and maybe that's, you know, the the traversing of um, from your head to your heart and the loosening up of loyalty to old family values, which often loyalty is driven by fear um, and, and maybe respect is driven by understanding. So a different level of respect for your parents and the old values and learning to do it in a new way. And so when I look at intuition or instinct uh, for me, Intuition is a knowing. You know, you know, you don't know how you know. It's a sensation. It's a feeling. It's maybe a tap into uh, what some would call collective consciousness. It's, it's the mind that's beyond yours, the mind that's beyond mind. And it's also the mind that's connected that we're connected to. And there's apparently, 
information in there that comes in much larger chunks than the normal inflammation, inflammation, <laughs> information <laughs> that comes in through our ego's agenda and the pieces and parts of us that are, are chopping up information all the time and analyzing and rationalizing and creating and creating story and perspective and perception and projection. And if you notice, and I'll go on the limb here, you probably, I'm going to project again, you probably had some sense of knowing that that's what you wanted to do in this um, retreat. And I'm also guessing that you had that knowing. And then two seconds later, all these thoughts started to come in. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> what if this? What if that? Da, 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 Doubt da, da, the critic. Da. Like, yeah. Just started pouring all over that intuition. Mm, oh, yeah. And um, so many of us are inclusive of myself at times, parts of me for sure, are deeply afraid of our intuition. Uh, maybe I'll say it in another way, maybe one level even deeper of fear of our intuition, deeply ashamed of our intuition. There were, for all of us, uh, times in our childhood where we felt a sense of shame about our knowings. Imagine the, the kid that uh, sees ghosts or entities or sees things that aren't here. And someone says, those things are not real. They're mm -hmm. not here. Those are the moments that crystallize the idea that your imagination and mystery and creation and enthusiasm aren't tools to be used anymore. Uh, they're tools to be hidden or to be ashamed of. Oh my God, I, I still see things, but I can't tell anybody about it. And these aren't conscious thoughts, right? You're a kid, but these are parts of the shame that you feel, the hidden shame that you feel, and then you swallow that truth. And then if that continues to show up, those intuitive hits or that deep imagination or mystery or child-like perspective on life, some part of you has to shut that down even more and push it away, push it away. At the same time, most of us are learning that our information and our wisdom comes from outside of us. Mm. Teachers, parents, people, books, etc. And we start to build that story very, very, very deeply. And we become codependent on that story. And that is what essentially then runs our life and um, sticks us, bounds us to instinct out of fear and out of survival. Again, not good or bad. These things just happen. And, you know, simply you asking the question is implicative of, I don't know if that's a word, but we'll use it, <laughs> of you starting to notice, wow, when did I lose my connection to intuition? How did I lose it? How do I find it again? How do I reduce my fear or shame about it? And 
by speaking the words out loud, you're also speaking to a self-awareness that you didn't have before. And this is also where, from my opinion, which is another cliche, all of these processes are bound to awareness, are bound to you being able to observe your actions, your behavior, and to take a step back. Also bound to your ability to participate in it. By participating in it, you get to feel the emotion, you get to feel the experience. You get to, you got to feel, wait a second, I had this knowing that this is how I should run this retreat. And less than a second later, all of my participation came up, all of my survival came up, all of the loyalty to my family came up. Mm. You can't do that, Mike. You won't meet our needs. You won't fit in. You won't be the Mike that I know you to be and I expect you to be in this family. And you say the same thing inside. Who am I? Who would I be without these family values? Who would I be if I went to Thanksgiving dinner at my family's house and I sat at a different place on the table? Most of us all sit at the same place and all play the same roles. So you're, in my perspective, getting knowings and that is challenging you with the conflict of old values and old perspectives that parts of you are still attached to. And intuition, from my perspective, is guiding that process and your instinct is trying to keep it. It's trying to hold on to it. And maybe the real magic eventually is how do we allow our intuition and our instinct to become friends? And I don't know if that's a place I've gotten to yet, but it's intentional and it's where I'd like to get. I don't know if that's actually true. Is that where I'd like to get. I'm curious about getting there and, and letting them, uh, marry each other, become friends with each other, get to know each other. Because ultimately what that represents to me is if, if intuition is a part of me and if instinct is a part of me and those two parts are in conflict, that then implies those two parts are in conflict, which then there's conflict inside of me, which then I project out onto others and just look at the world around you. Conflict is everywhere we look, at least in my opinion, which is also indicative of there's still conflict in me. Because if I got to a place, which I don't know that I'll, who knows where I'll get. Um, if you got to a place of fully integrating all aspects of yourself, you would probably look outside onto the canvas of life and all you would see is synchronicity. Mm. wouldn't see anything else there would be no judgment as good or bad there would be no wrong or right there'd be none of that none of that ultra spiritual stuff um oh excuse me all of that ultra spiritual stuff and why i say ultra spiritual is that from my perspective it takes tremendous time energy and a willingness to even tap that place of understanding synchronicity in every moment. Uh, you'll see 
many people will say, it's 1111 and that means something. It doesn't mean anything different than 1012. Hmm. It's just that we attach some idea to that meaning something symbolic, which is cool. It helps us get through. But that also implies that you're not seeing synchronicity at all times. Hmm. What's the difference between tragedy and miracle? Nothing. It's perspective. So if tragedy and miracle are all synchronous uh, in this literal realm that we live in, it's not a tragedy or a miracle. It simply is an occurrence. Everything else is what we ascribe to it and the stories that we create about it. Uh, I'm not there yet. So I just want to be clear. Uh, and I'm not proclaiming to be. Of course I have. Uh, I see synchronicity sometimes when I need it. <laughs> oh, that met my needs. So synchronous. Perfect. And, you know, when my life blew up eight months ago, oh, how did this happen? This is completely unsynchronous. <laughs> this is a tragedy. <laughs> this, is a, this is a fucking tragedy, man. Um, so we get to have both and we get to have fun and enjoy that process of exploration and enjoy the process of being a participant here emotion and feeling and sensation and pleasure and joy and anger and frustration and resentment and codependency and interdependency and dependency. Uh, we also get to invite in the observer aspect of us that maybe sees the expression of life as that. It's simply an expression of life. It's mm. what is What's the difference between me and you? Nothing. You're here to express life in the way Mike Salemi, and you're way beyond your name, obviously, is here to express life. And so am I. So I don't have any idea anymore if I answered your question, but that would be my take. <laughs> Not surprisingly, that was deep as fuck. <laughs> I love you, bro. Oh, oh man. Shit. And I love my experience of you and, and how much, you know, I get to learn when we're together. And I was just uh, thinking back to one of the things that you've invited into really into my awareness and, and my time with you um, was early on uh, in the early days when we started hanging out and I was still super heavily competing. I was super in it. And I remember I was having some like shoulder issues or neck issues and we would hang out. And I think I've shared this story with you before, but I've, I've shared it with, with many people because it's, it's really now like been a, been a big uh, inspiration for me. And uh, this curiosity piece when we're having especially physical symptoms show up in our lives. So I would have neck issues or whatever and we'd hang out. And I'd be like, oh, I just, you know, tweak my neck and doing kettlebells and, 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 you know, doing the clean and jerk. And, and you would just in a funny way and, 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 you know, not in a douchebag way, you'd be like, I'm just curious, uh, what do you, what maybe, or what possibly are you not communicating, you know, with your dad or with your mom? And I'm like, what the fuck? What is he saying? Where is this coming from? And then through more awareness and just genuine play and curiosity. And that's one thing that when we're together and when we get to hang out, I really feel like um, 
you know, we can have very heartfelt, heart-centered, uh, open-hearted conversations, but there's this energy of just curiosity and play that I really appreciate about you and your friendship. And it's added a lot of insight into my life because taking those elements of curiosity and inviting those in and becoming friends with that, that like, wow, like if there's even 1% chance that any of that could be true, maybe it's worth exploring. And as I've now like tuned into when physical symptoms come up, like I've had some right knee issues for a few years. Um, and there's obviously, I think an orthopedic, a structural issue with that. But one of the things that it's really invited in is, you know, what maybe am I carrying or holding onto and how I experience my story or my relationship with my dad? Just curious. And it's really, if anything, just provided a lot more insight, a lot more love. And, um, just compassion and understanding and, and moments to connect with myself and also my actual father. So I just wanted to bring that up because it's something that as we're having this conversation, I love the curiosity and the play and just, uh, it adds that uh, you're someone, and we've had this conversation where you, <laughs> you live in the gray, like, you know, black and white does not, uh, and you illuminate a lot of that stuff. So I very much appreciate that about you. And, if you'd be open to uh, sharing even a small bit um, about your life, however small or, or you'd like to go, you know, I think when we're around people that inspire us or that provide models for us, there is this tendency, and I'm speaking for myself, but I've, I've definitely been witness to men sharing this, especially there is this tendency to pedestal. Mm. And there is this tendency to put our teachers, <clears throat> our mentors, whoever on this pedestal and kind of, uh, take away the humanness from them or how we experience them. So, uh, and I think one of the lovely things that you've shared is just really this beautiful, you know, real view of who you are, things you're still, you know, uh, humbleness and your things you're still working on. So I'm just curious in this moment, what comes up for you of an area that you're uh, illuminating or curious about yourself or something that you're still working through? Mike, what are you talking about? I'm perfect. <laughs> Super appreciate that. Um, I think this is, for me, some of my fun, this is a fun place. Um, it's also a scary place mm. Mm, and a, a vulnerable place. And um, some part of me over the years must be self-trained to, to dive into this. And, and yet there's still parts that it gets it gets a little scary. So I want to give voice to that first. Mm. Um, and yeah, the, uh, the pedestal, man, wow. What a challenge. Um, what a, what a constant challenge. And you know, it's really like before I get into the vulnerability, which I will, um, something about pedestals, um, interesting putting ourselves up on one. We're putting self, someone else above us. It, it deeply implies that we cannot connect. As soon as I put you above me, I have to turn from you in some way or another. Hmm. As soon as I put you below me, I have to turn from you in some way or another. As soon as I allow myself to see myself in you, then we can be horizontal. And I'm really working on that. And, and that's 
I mean, I think you're a great example of someone that I've put on a pedestal uh, back to the Captain America thing, which over the years still, still rang true. And it's also something that I've been really deeply working on in myself is um, there's parts of Mike that I really admire that I know are parts of me and are in here somewhere. How do I, how do I allow them to, to blossom too? Hmm. Um, yeah. So that, and I don't put myself below you anymore or put myself above you. I put myself as a, as your brother. I'm, I'm in the trenches too. So I'm in the trenches too, everyone <laughs> working very hard <laughs> and having a lot of fun or playing very hard. Or playing very hard. <laughs> um, yeah. So to the, to the question, the question, mm. you know, um, I think, uh, my historical biggest challenge that I notice in myself, um, is my relationship to myself about what women represent to me. Mm. And, um, that is a, a deep and wide chasm that has cost me a tremendous amount of pain. And I'd also say caused a tremendous amount of pain um, through behaviors that I learned uh, as a young man and that I still played out. And I'll just say being disintegrous, hiding things, lying, um, being disrespectful to myself. And, you know, when I, I framework that now, um, a really interesting piece is I can only truly respect someone else to the amount that I've learned to respect myself. I can only truly accept someone else to the amount that I've learned to accept those parts of myself. And so even in sharing this now, right, again, <laughs> publicly, uh, there's a part of me that's scared to do that. What does that mean about me? What are people going to think? Self-criticism, self-judgment, fear of criticism and judgment. And I know that the only way out of that for me is to become friends with who I used to be and to look at the behaviors that I have acted out in the world as a framework to do I want to act that out anymore? Mm. And the answer comes back is no, which is also scary to say because our ego essentially is, is always looking for, for familiarity and control. And no matter how uncomfortable or painful the behavior is, the control comes from the emotional experience of what happens after acting out the behavior. So uh, let's say I step out on a partner with another woman or something like that. It's not so much the act of that that uh, is the pain or the familiarity, which is also the pain and the familiarity. It's also the shame that I get to feel 
after acting out such behavior, which is the greater addiction, the, the addiction to how one perceives themselves to subconsciously need to feel in the environment. Almost like it wouldn't make sense to me to do anything else. And so for the last 10 years, I've been really diving into that, changing that because I know where that road leads and it's still a work in progress. It's still something I am very attentive to and attending to and aware of. And I really have to be watchful of subconscious agenda and the salivation of my ego to play out same roles that I've always played and going through a complete and utter destruction of every self-identification I had outside of I'm in a body um, eight months ago um, has really invited in uh, a very attentive awareness to my subconscious agenda and, and the subtleties in which I act out in life. And fast forward now, eight months later, um, I'm, I'm acting and behaving in, in, in new ways. Mm. And that is deeply shifted and shifting. And it has been for the last 10 years. Maybe I'm hitting the pinnacle of it now. Maybe I'm hitting the, the stride or the flow of it. Um, almost the arrogance of I got this and, and the joy and celebration of I got this and that desire to act out those behaviors is so mitigated now and so much less and, and the, also the celebration of that's who I was so that I could become who I am today. That's a fucking celebration, man. <laughs> and I think some of what drove that behavior initially is, of course, I can say times in, in my past growing up as a kid is music I listened to, um, the friends that I had, the celebration of conquering, etc. cetera. Uh, if I go back even further than that, and this plays out with many men and women toward the opposite sex is we often act out our unresolved wounding trauma, pain that we had with our mom or our dad toward our partners. Hmm. So uh, the unresolved experiences that I had with what I made different actions my mom did what I made that mean for me and maybe the shame or the fear and resentment toward her at some point had to be acted out somewhere. Wow. So mm. who else would I act it out on except for my metaphoric mothers? Mm -hmm. um, and that has greatly changed and will continue to change. And that change process also signifies at least for me that a partner is no is not a metaphoric mom although that be small parts of that of course um but my partner is not my mom 
My partner is my partner. Mm. And I also get to then have the same framework that you and I started off with and just talked about too, where we're horizontal. She's not below. She's not above. I get to see myself in her too. And then I get to ask the question, if it's true that I see myself in her, how do I want to treat myself? I want to treat myself with respect and kindness and groundedness and understanding truth and authenticity and it's a daily work in progress man every single day and and having conversations like this is helpful to to dissolving the fear or shame of those behaviors by sharing it publicly and still having friends like you Mm. who accept me and, and love me for who i've been who i am and who i'll become Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you. And when you were sharing that, uh, there's certain, there's certain things when we hear certain, like when we hear from in this moment, we're, we're having this chat, but I had this, uh, just overwhelming, like not rush of energy, but just like this sinking down of energy in my body as if like, I haven't had the language to share what you've just shared, but it feels like a knowing that, and I'm like, and it's that rush of energy that I felt into my, like my lower belly and legs. Like it felt like that, um, confirming and validating. And so I'm super grateful that you gave voice to that. And also, and this is one of the things why we are dear friends is the courage that you continue to show day in and fucking day out. And, uh, you know, I'm very grateful to have you as a friend and that our friendship is a safe place for that. And, uh, and you know this about me and I know this about you that we got each other's back no matter what. And we've, we've, we've been able to dance with that over the years. So I'm just love you brother and grateful for you. And, um, this conversation has, has opened up so much new awareness for me. And I hope, and I know all the listeners, um, as we're closing off this show, I would love for you to share, um, what you're working on right now. And I know it's super exciting. And so uh, of course, where can people find you, but what is in the mix right now that you uh, are pouring your whole heart into? <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> yeah, um, I got mad love for you. Hmm. And, and I just want to be clear too, what that means for me is um, I'm, I'm attached to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also connected to you (laughs) and my life wouldn't be the same if you weren't here. Mm. Um, yeah. So, uh, after my essentially eight month hiatus, I, for fun, I just recently released a free masterclass called instinct or intuition or intuition or instinct. And, um, you can find that at jatorpierre.com forward slash intuition. And my next kind of offering to the world in terms of uh, financial gain offering is a program called Open Hearted. Mm. And that is, in some regard, uh, most of what we chatted about today. Self-communication, self-understanding, the inner critic, the outer critic, um, the language of emotion, 
and uh, feeling that, experiencing that sensation uh, and understanding our behaviors and how they serve us so that we can find the parts of self that are still acting out those behaviors in service to survival so that we can become friends with those parts to slowly integrate and process, not dwell, to get to a place of practicality and application and moving forward in our lives in real time in a different way. And that's essentially the, the crux of the program is, is to help, help others uh, do that in their lives, um, which is a passion of mine, of course. And I said this at the beginning and I'll say it again. It's important for me to hear. Every word I shared today was for me. Uh, I needed to hear that too. And that's one of the reasons why I share is because there's some part of me that owns the illusion and arrogance that this is for other people. <laughs> Maybe that's true in some regard. And there's a humbleness that I know that what I share out loud and publicly and, and from my head and from my heart is really lessons for me to hear myself and be present with my words so that I can also find a deeper understanding for myself of myself and to help me shift into discovery and curiosity and take myself off a pedestal. Mm. Man, it is so easy to put ourselves on pedestals. It is seductive AF. <laughs> um, my IG, at Torpierre. No, it's not .com, right? <laughs> I'm so technically gifted, socially aware. Um, at Torpierre. And Facebook is at Explorer Tour, and there's an at Pierre, and YouTube is at Explorer Tour, and my website is JatorPierre.com. Who is this guy? I like him. <laughs> we could do a whole nother conversation of how you've evolved over the years. As you're rattling that off, Jator, the, the old Jator is a snail who has, I think you have a snail tattooed on your hand. Yes. You now got it all, bro. You are dialed and you are connected to every medium before it was moving at a snail's pace. And now you are, you got it all, bro. Every channel. I really, it's really funny because um, I definitely experienced myself as a snail for sure, which is, I find many people who know me think that's hilarious. And they're like, Turbo the snail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you ain't no snail, homie. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, brother. And thank you again so much for sharing your wisdom and your heart with me and everyone listening. Thank you. You're very welcome. And thank you for having me on and allowing me the space to share and dive in with you, man. Um, you're one of my favorite people in the world and I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. So it's, it's an honor and a friendship and a, a brotherhood that is vastly important to my heart and to my life. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours. 